morning. It's another beautiful day, and it's good to be here uh, worshiping together with you. I trust that uh, everyone has been enjoying and get, uh, the good weather and getting outside, making the most of it. It's hard to believe that August is already right around the corner, but uh, we've still got a lot of good weather ahead of us, I hope, and uh, we're going to continue to enjoy it. This morning we're going to begin a new series uh, that I've entitled Unmerited Favor. And I know many of you uh, are aware of what that topic is. Henry has already alluded to it, and we're going to get into that a little bit this morning. Uh, Would you now bow with me as we begin our time together in prayer? deserve this. We have not earned this nice day, we have not paid for it, and yet here we are enjoying it. And so for that, Lord, we thank you that even in a a beautiful day there is a lesson for us, that it is a gift from you. Father, thank you that as we come to your word, we are once again reminded that we have done nothing to earn your word, we have done nothing to deserve it, and yet here we are about to learn from it and hear from it. And so, Father, in all of these things, we acknowledge you as the giver. And so, Father, as we enter this series, as we think of your favor, we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive it and to truly understand the depths of what you have for each one of us. Bless this word and each one. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it was bailing season. And Farmer Fred needed some extra muscle to help him stack the bales in the hayloft of his barn. So early in the morning, Fred set to the task of phoning around to different neighbors, asking if their boys would be available to help stack hay bales that day. Well, the first place he called, the boy asked how much he would pay, and so Fred informed him that he would pay $50 for the day of work. Well, this seemed agreeable to the boy, and as he had nothing else planned for the day, he was able to come over and begin work immediately. Well, they began the day, and Fred began hauling bales to the barn, and the boy began stacking them. The work was hard, hot, and slow, and after a couple of hours, it became clear to Fred that he would need more help to finish the job that day. So Fred made another phone call to a second boy, asking him to come, and asked him that if he would be able to come right away, they would figure out the day's wages at the end of the day's work. Well, the boy agreed to this, and a short time later, he arrived and pitched in, stacking the bales in the hayloft. Well, as the morning wore on, the temperatures continued to rise, and as lunchtime approached, Fred realized that he could still use some more help. So, making another phone call, he contacted another neighbor boy and made the same offer. After lunch, the third boy arrived, and now the work began to uh, proceed much more quickly. Through the heat of the day, they stacked bale after bale after bale. But as five o'clock rolled around, the job was still a long ways from being completed. Realizing this and anxious to get the bales under shelter before the rain came, Fred called a couple more neighbor boys and they soon arrived to help out. Finally, aided by the extra help, they finished the job a few hours later. And after completing the job, Fred wanted to express his gratitude to the boys for their help And so he invited them all inside the house for a barbecue supper. Well, after supper was finished, Fred broke out his checkbook to pay the boys. Addressing the checks to the boys he had hired last, Fred said, there you go, 
fifty dollars. Well, after hearing that, all the boys who had been there longer thought to themselves, if he's paying them fifty dollars and they only worked for a couple of hours, then he must be paying me more. But as Fred handed out the next check to the boy who had been hired second to last, he said, and fifty dollars to you. And up the line Fred went, paying each one fifty dollars, until he came to the first boy who had been working there since seven o'clock that morning. Handing him his check, Fred said, Thank you so much for all your hard work today. Here is your fifty dollars, as agreed. Well, the boy just stared at Fred with an incredulous expression on his face, and he finally blurted out, Are you serious? You're really going to pay me the same as the guys who only work two hours? I sweated it out. I busted my back for 12 hours today, and this is the thanks I get. This is totally unfair. Well, Fred looked at him for a long moment and then finally replied, How am I being unfair to you? This morning, you agreed to work for the day for $50. Now, simply because I paid the boys I hired last the same as I paid you doesn't change our agreement or lessen what you have been paid. Don't be ungrateful simply because I was generous with them. Well, if that story seems familiar to you, it may be because it is a modern-day retelling of Jesus' parable in Matthew chapter 20 of the workers in the vineyard. Or it may also be because I first shared that story in a sermon that I preached here on January 8th, 2006, that I had entitled, God's Annoying Grace. It's hard for me to believe that it's been that long since I shared that story. I was preparing for this message, and I was looking over some old notes, and I stumbled across this story. And the reason I shared it again is because I believe it's a perfect way of kicking off this series that I have entitled, Unmerited Favor. For that is exactly what grace is. A very good definition that I've read of God's grace is simply the unmerited favor of God towards man. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time. To show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Put simply, God's grace cannot be bought or earned, only received. God's grace cannot be bought or earned, only received. That's a thought that I want you to hold on to this morning. Can the subject of God's grace ever be exhausted? Have you ever got to the point where you've said, I've learned all there is to learn, I I know all there is to know about the subject of God's grace? I mean, can we ever fully come to understand everything that God's grace is and does? Well, let me tell you that I have been studying God's grace, and praise God, I have been living under God's grace for most of my life. I have also preached dozens of sermons about it and have referenced it more times than I can possibly recall. So why am I talking about it again? Right? We all know God's grace is free and extravagant and all those great things. So why, why are we talking about it again? Well, I haven't yet tired of, grown tired of talking about it. So I hope that you haven't grown tired of hearing or thinking about it. 
also feel like after all of those studies and all of those sermons that I've preached on it, I still feel like I am only scratching the surface of God's grace as it applies to me. And I hope that it is only still something that you have not yet begun to scratch the surface of in your life. Because God's grace truly is incredible. The second reason that I'm stressing it for you again this morning and beginning another series on it is because God's word instructs pastors to stress these things. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 we are also told, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. That's a loaded statement, isn't it? See to it that no one misses the grace of God. Who does that no one all include? Who? Like, who is that referring to? That no one misses the grace of God. Who does that include? Well, for starters, it includes you. And it includes the person sitting next to you, to your left, and the person next to you to your right. And it includes the person sitting behind you. And yes, it includes the person sitting in front of you. Yeah, even that person. I know, it's hard to believe, isn't it? (laughs) It includes everyone. So this morning, I want to encourage you that if you're thinking about anyone else right now who needs the grace of God, I want you to just watch out for a moment because you might just miss it. This is for you. God's grace is for you. And if you forget anything else and everything else this morning, I want you to remember this. God's grace is here for you right now, right here today. And even if you have received it many times over in the past, God desires to pour more unmerited favor into your life right now today. So don't go falling asleep on me and miss it, okay? I don't want anyone to miss out because I've been instructed by God's word to make sure that no one misses out. So if you see someone trying to miss out by nodding off this morning, give them one of these. That's straight from scripture, okay? So let's see if we can dive into it just a little bit deeper this morning. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, and there we're going to study specifically verses 3 to 8. The first thing I want to draw for your attention this morning is God's grace is not about getting what we deserve. Did you catch that? God's grace is not about getting what we deserve. Titus chapter 3 verse 3 says this, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Paul didn't mince words, did he? He didn't dodge around the issue when he described the behavior that many of them had been involved in in the past. He was very direct in describing what all of us were Before we experience the grace of God. He says we were foolish. Foolish. Lacking spiritual understanding and discernment. This speaks of our inner attitudes and motivations. Foolish. He says we were disobedient. Disobedient to God. Willfully disregarding his authority. Refusing to obey God's law and God's desires. He says we were also deceived. Actively straying from the true course by following false teachers, false ideas, false motivations. We were enslaved, being 
uh, aligning our conduct with that which is false, we are enslaved and ensnared by all of the trappings of the world, our own desires and the pleasures that this world has to offer. We get ensnared and trapped, enslaved by these things. And finally, he describes the result. We end up opposed to God, treating others with malice, envy, and hatred. So why was Paul so direct and so negative in this passage? Well, I believe that he understood that we have an inner tendency, which of course the Bible describes as our sinful nature, an inner tendency to deny or diminish our own sinfulness. And we do this in many ways, and one of the primary ways is we compare ourselves to others around us. We look at murderers, thieves, abusers, addicts, adulterers, and the like, and we think, well, I'm not like them, I'm not that bad, and so we compare ourselves and say, well, if I'm not as bad as so-and-so, then I must be okay with God. This leads to the next thought. How can God treat me the same as a murderer? How can God treat me the same as, as that adulterer or, or that thief or that con artist? How could God treat me the same as them? And so we begin to puff ourselves up. We deny the gravity of our sinful condition. And when we do that, in our own minds, we begin to lessen our need for God's grace. And we even go so far as to begin to tell ourselves that somehow we deserve it. I've been good enough that I've, you know, so-and-so, maybe it's a gift of grace for that murderer over there. But me, I've been just good enough that I deserve God's grace. And these are the sorts of thoughts that can creep into our minds, into our hearts, and into our actions. If we go back to our modern-day parable of Farmer Fred based on Matthew chapter 20... Let's just put ourselves in the sweaty, itchy, straw-filled shoes of the boys who had worked all day in the heat stacking those bales. If you're wondering where this story came from, it's personal experience for me, and I imagine that it is for a lot of you as well. You know what this feels like to be stacking bales all day in the heat of the day. And so here we are, many of us not having a hard time empathizing with the boys who had been working all day, and let's be honest. If it was you or I who had been working for 12 hours stacking bales and then receiving the same pay as the ones who had only worked for two hours, be honest, you would be downright annoyed. Now that would be putting it mildly. You would be downright ticked off. You would go home furious at the end of the day that someone who only worked two hours got paid the same as you. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, I'm never working for that guy ever again. But let's stop and think about it objectively. Did the boy who worked all day get what he deserved? Did he? Think about it. He received exactly the amount of money that he had agreed to at the beginning of the day. And in fact, he received even more than that when he was invited into Farmer Fred's home for a barbecue supper. That wasn't part of an agreement, and yet he didn't argue when that came up. So, so what was the problem then? The problem was that he wasn't the only one to receive it. And because he had worked longer and harder than all the others, he felt he deserved more. In fact, he felt he was entitled to it. Entitled. 
So much so, in fact, that he actually felt as though Farmer Fred was stealing from him by paying others the same as him and not paying him more. Now, when we turn the page here, we turn the corner and we compare this to God and his grace. God's grace is available to everyone. The one who has given their life to him at a young age and gone on to obediently serve him their entire lives, what is the reward? The reward is salvation. The reward is eternity in heaven with him. And yet we look at the thief on the cross next to Jesus, who was a murderer, who is dying as a punishment for his sins, and he says to Jesus, hanging on the cross, Lord, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, this day you will be with me in paradise. This man didn't do one good thing in his life, and what was his reward? It was salvation. It was eternity in heaven with him. The payment was the same, and yet the life of service was completely less than that of someone serving him their whole lives. And we look at this and we say, how unfair to those who have been serving since childhood. But is it? Is it unfair when we receive God's grace? Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt like you deserved God's grace as though somehow your lifetime of service has made you more deserving than another? That you are somehow entitled to it? Whether or not you realize it or want to admit it, chances are you have felt this way before. Because I'll admit to you today that I have. I've had those sneaky, subtle thoughts creep into my mind before. In fact, most sociologists today remark that one of the most defining characteristics of our current generation and culture, which we are a part of today, this includes us, one of the most defining characteristics of our generation is a sense of entitlement. We have prospered for so well and for so long here in Canada that we have come to believe that we deserve to have whatever we want to have. We have somehow come to believe that I, I, I'm a Canadian, and so I deserve only the best that this world has to offer. What did you do to be born in Canada? What did you do to be born in one of the most prosperous nations on earth? Anything. What do you deserve? How much more do you deserve the prosperity of Canada than the person born in the slums in a third world country? What did they do to deserve to be born in that position versus us being born here in Canada? When we think of it in these terms, we realize we have done nothing to deserve this position, and yet here we are, unmerited favor. It is a gift of God. How can we look in the mirror and say, I have earned this, I am entitled to it? You know, we have prospered for so long here that not only do we believe that we deserve anything that we set our hearts to, but we actually go out and take hold of it. That's why we have easy credit. That's why we have consumer debt shooting through the charts. It's the thing that every salesman will use as a tactic against you. In fact, I've talked personally with a salesman who told me that in their training seminars, they are actually trained to use this to their advantage when they say things like, you've worked hard. You deserve that new car. Has anyone ever heard that from a car salesman before? <laughs> from any salesman? Chances are you have. You worked hard. You deserve that new car. And we think to ourselves, you know what? He's right. 
I have worked hard. I do deserve that new car. And so you sign the dotted line on the worst investment you'll ever make. <laughs> well, you know why, right? The moment you drive that new car off the lot, it depreciates almost half in value. Yeah, they never make money. But in, in, in much the same vein of thought, we who have been Christians for a long time, we can begin to think, you know, I have worked really hard serving God, and I do deserve His grace. In fact, I've been working for Him for so long that He owes me a favor or two. You ever felt that way? This is where we need to remember that we deserve nothing, and God owes us nothing. In fact, if we really want to get down to brass tacks on this, what we deserve is God's judgment. If we were to get what we truly deserve, we would all spend eternity separated from God in a place of torment, a place the Bible calls hell. And no one likes to talk about this, me least of all. But my friends, it's the truth, and Jesus never minced words on this subject either. That is all our human goodness is entitled to. Romans 3, verses, uh, uh, verses uh, 10 to 12, Paul writes, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So my friends, before we go thinking too highly of ourselves, thinking that we're, we're something special, every last one of us needs to remember that what we truly deserve is nothing short of condemnation. And even more for those of us, those of us who have been saved by God's grace, we need to remember that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every last one of us. God's grace is not about getting what we deserve. Which leads me to our second point. God's grace is about getting what we don't deserve. God's grace is not about getting what we deserve. God's grace is about getting what we don't deserve. Verse 4 of our passage in Titus 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. What I have learned is that God's grace is free, completely unbiased, Annoyingly persistent, extravagantly generous, limitless, free-flowing, and completely and utterly undeserved. There's a great story that's told about Fiorello LaGuardia, who was mayor of New York City during the worst days of the Great Depression in the 1930s and all of World War II. He was called by many New Yorkers the Little Flower, because he was only five foot four and always wore a carnation pinned to his lapel. He was a colorful character who, who used to ride the New York City fire trucks, go on raids with the police department, and take entire orphanages to baseball games. 
And whenever the New York newspapers would go on strikes, he would famously go on the radio to read the funnies to the children. One bitterly cold night in January of 1935, right in the middle of the Great Depression, the mayor turned up at a night court in an area that served the poorest ward in the city. Mayor LaGuardia had dismissed the judge for the evening and took over the bench for himself. Within a few minutes, a tattered old woman was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. She told the mayor that her daughter's husband had deserted her. Her daughter was sick and her two grandchildren were starving. But the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen refused to drop the charges. It's a really bad neighborhood, your honor, the shopkeeper told the mayor. She's got to be punished to teach others around here a lesson. If I let her off the hook, there'll be more behind her. Mayor LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the woman and said, he's right. I have got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. You decide. But even as he pronounced the sentence, the mayor was already reaching into his pocket. He extracted a bill and tossed it into his own hat, saying, Here is the ten dollar fine which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom fifty cents for living in a city where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. Some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and New York policemen, each of whom had just paid 50 cents, gave the mayor a standing ovation. The following day, the New York City newspapers reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. 50 cents of that amount being contributed by the red-faced grocery store owner. So here's my question. Did the elderly lady in the store get what she deserved? No. She did not get what she deserved. She had stolen a loaf of bread. Yes, she may have had a good reason, but stealing is stealing, and regardless of the reason, punishment would have seemed to have been the order of the day. What we see in this story is called grace. Mayor LaGuardia, rather than demanding punishment of the woman herself, paid the fine for her, and then further helped her cause with the collection of the 50-cent fines and then giving the money to her. It was more than she deserved. It was unmerited favor. It was grace. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously. Just as the mayor was with that woman. He not only paid her fine, He then generously gave her over and above. And so too, God poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, not only has our fine been paid, we have become heirs of the hope of eternal life. We haven't just been let off the hook, we have been welcomed into His family. We have been welcomed to His table. All of the inheritance of the Lord Jesus Christ is ours today. You want to talk about generous? That is our God. 
that is unmerited favor. Every last one of us, my friends, make no mistake about it, every last one of us is equal in our desperate need of God's mercy and grace as we stand convicted of our crimes before him, just as that woman stood convicted of her crime of stealing before the mayor, we stand convicted before God. And God, the righteous judge, sees our need. He sees our complete and utter inability to repay the debt that we owe. And he reaches into his own pocket. And he paid for every last one of our crimes with the blood of his own son on the cross of Calvary. Romans chapter 4 verses 25 and on to chapter 5 verse 2 says this, He was delivered over to death for our sins. He was delivered over to death for my sins. Put your name in that blank. He, the Lord Jesus, was delivered over to death for you, for me. But now, here's the really good part. And raised to life for our justification. Big word, justification. Just as if we had never sinned, we stand before God justified, welcomed as sons and daughters of the King. And therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand in this grace. Are you standing in this grace today? Stand in His grace. I pray that you are. Stand right in the center of it, because without His grace, my friends, we don't stand a chance. Stand in this grace. And if you're standing in the grace of the Lord, it has to do something very real. It has to do something very practical in your life. Because when we realize that God's grace is about getting what we don't deserve, we naturally begin to desire to be like God and to show grace towards the people around us. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 concludes this passage. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Notice the strong emphasis Paul places at the end of this passage that those who have trusted in God, those who are standing in the center of His grace, should be carefully devoting themselves to doing what is good. Be careful to devote themselves to showing love, showing compassion, showing mercy and grace to those around us who, just like us, don't deserve it. But because we want to be like God, we give it anyways. We give it extravagantly, generously, holding nothing back. Are you carefully devoting yourself to that today, to what is good? Be honest with yourself and with God. Because if the answer is no, it may well be that you have not yet fully grasped what God's grace has done for you. Remember, in God's economy, the forgiven must forgive. Those who have received mercy must show mercy. And those who have received grace from God must also give grace to others. May God's unmerited favor be with us all today. 
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you and I give you all glory and praise for what you did for me and for each one who is here today. Lord, we stand before you and we confess that there is not one thing we did to deserve what you did for us by going to the cross of Calvary, by paying for our sins in our place so that we could be justified, we could be forgiven, and that we could enter into this amazing grace in which we now stand. Oh, Father, help us to stand firm in your grace never letting those subtle thoughts creep in that I deserve it, I'm entitled to it, I've earned it. Oh Lord, we crucify those thoughts and we simply give you glory that we can stand before you forgiven because of your grace. Lord, help us to live out this grace in our lives in such a way that we would be like you as we go through this life, as we deal with our our families, as we deal with our our spouses and our children, as we deal with with those in in our sphere of influence, Lord whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in our, in our neighborhood, wherever it is, Lord, I pray that we would be like you to show unmerited favor to those around us. This is our call. And so, Lord, as we go out, we ask for your grace, your strength, and your wisdom to accomplish this for your glory. Bless this church as we stand in your grace, I pray in Jesus' name.